Good morning. How are you all doing? You doing good? Great to see you. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that my voice is back this time. For those who are here, I spoke, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and my voice decided to take a uh, little skiing holiday. Uh, so for those who have been praying, thank you. And for those whose prayers haven't been answered because I can speak today, I'm very sorry. Anyway, um, so we're looking uh, at God's Word this morning as part of this big picture series. If you're new with us and uh, you've not been around the last few weeks, uh, then we're in, we're in the middle of, a, well, at the end of a, now of a, of a three-part series called The Big Picture. And we're just seeking to try and show you how um, prominent in one sense, how important God's Word, the Bible, is to us here at Coastline. And if you're maybe sussing us out, you've been to other churches, you can say, oh, I wonder what this lot thinks of the Bible. Let me be 100% clear, it's right at the centre of everything we are and believe, okay? Uh, so good, a big amen over there, that's really great. And, and over the last three weeks, we've been trying to unpack that. We've kind of called it the why, the what, and the how. Um, first week, uh, Anne had the horrible task of trying to explain what theology was. In fact, he said we were all theologians, uh, which was great. Um, but trying to say, well, look, you know, why is it we believe what we believe, and, and, and how do we get to that belief? So obviously that's what God's Word does for us. And then last week, John talked about um, just the Bible being all about Jesus, that Jesus is the very center of the Bible. The Bible is ultimately all about Jesus, and gave us lots of um, illustrations of that. This week, I've got the how privilege and uh, I'm trying to help you to read the Bible. So how do we read the Bible? And again, like we always say, look, these um, messages in one sense pile up on top of each other and interlock with each other and everything else. So go on to our YouTube channel if you missed any of those. If you're watching online, particularly for, for you, this is true. Uh, go back on to the last previous week. So if you go on to YouTube, put in the hashtag uh, Coastline Vineyard, you'll find our Sunday stream. And I show, I've noticed, actually, you, you can go back almost a couple of years, really, if you want to go right back. But those last three weeks, or last two weeks at least, will be there. So we're talking about how to read the Bible. And this is an amazing book. So according to the Guinness Book of Records, it's the best-selling book of all time. It uh, doesn't feature in the charts because they take it out. It would be number one each week, every week. They estimate that something like 80 million copies of this book are printed every year. And in the US alone, 20 million are sold every year. Just in case you can't get your head around that, that's one every 1.56 seconds. Pretty impressive. It's been translated into 724 languages. In fact, the New Testament part has been translated into a further 1,617 languages. And in all time, they reckon between 5 and 7 billion copies of the Bible have been printed. So it's no ordinary book. In fact, it's not even a book at all. It's a collection of books. It's 66 books, in fact, written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years in three continents. It's broken down into 1,189 1, chapters, or if you like, 31,173 verses, or if you really like, 788, 258 words, if you're reading 
the King James translation. And of those 788,000 words, only three are the word Christian. Just thought you'd throw that in as a bit of a trivia thing. It was quite funny. Anyway, but the Bible's no ordinary book. It's not even an extraordinary best-selling book. It's not even a kind of an interesting read, really, in per se as such, because it's far more important than that. And it says something about itself that makes it stand out from every other book or, more accurately, collection of books. It claims to be the very words of God. You don't get that with your average Mills and Boone. It claims to be the very words of God. So let's have a look at what it says about itself. We'll go up on the screen with 2 Timothy 3. If you've got a Bible, have a look with me. Uh, just a famous passage of, uh, the, just to set the scene here a bit, of Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy, who's in leadership in a church in Ephesus. And he's just seeking to encourage him in his leadership and his faith with some famous verses here from 2 Timothy 3. Have a look in the rows in front of you. If genuinely, uh, again, are new to faith or new to us here, and you don't have a Bible, there may well be a spare one in the row in front of you. Uh, so feel free to take that home if you don't have one at home to use. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17 says this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those whom you've learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Notice that. Wouldn't it be the New Testament? Because we're in the middle of writing the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are, you'll notice, able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, who's only just come. So just backing up what John was saying, the whole Bible is about Jesus and leads us to Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures that Timothy would have studied led him to Jesus. And he says this, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, as I've said before many times, Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in, well, the New Testament part was written in ancient Greek. And the Greek's got a bit of a funny language, because uh, if you've ever done German, at, uh, which I had the misfortune of doing at uh, school many years ago, the Germans bash words together to make other words, and the Greeks do the same. So this, uh, and we're trying to do a bit of Greek this morning, I don't know how well this is going to go, but here we go. If you're a Greek speaker, I do apologise for ruining your language. Um, but this word is uh, that's God-breathed in our uh, kind of um, English New Testament is theopneustos. And it's literally a combination of two words. Theos, which won't take a Greek scholar to work out, is probably God. And, uh, if I can pronounce this right, neuo. It's where we get our word, because a lot of our language is based in, in uh, ancient Greek, uh, the word pneumatic. So if you've got a pneumatic tie, you pump it up with air, it gets pressure in it, and it gets strength from having that air, that wind, that breath blown in it. And it's the same word that gets, or very similar root word, that gets used for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the New Testament. So pneuma is the word that uh, the writers used to use for that. Again, wind, breath, air, spirit. 
And the whole thing here is trying to say that the Spirit of God breathes into the very Word of God. You know, last time I spoke, I talked about being filled with the Spirit and the importance of being filled with the Spirit. And, and in one sense, the Bible is filled with the Spirit. You know, the breath of God, the very life of God, has breathed itself into every word. Scripture literally is spirit-filled. God breathed, he inspired and breathed, uh, breathed out every word. So if an extraordinary book has been in, written in an extraordinary way, why is it we think we can read it in an ordinary way? Surely an extraordinary book needs an extraordinary way of being read. So I thought I'd try and help us with some guiding principles today about how to read God's Word. And these are they. Number one, never read the Bible alone. Number two, don't read too much of the Bible. Number three, don't think too much when reading the Bible. Did you hear those? And just in case you can hear the sound of excommunicating feet at the door... I might have to explain what I mean by that. Never read the Bible alone. Don't read too much of the Bible. Don't think too much when reading the Bible. Okay, so let's have a bit of fun with these. Never read the Bible alone. Now, mercifully, we don't need to. In fact, we're encouraged not to. But surely, if we think this is God, breathe the Spirit of God breathes life into every word. Why is it we think that when we open this precious book, that the Spirit of God, the wind-breath Spirit of God, doesn't blow across us as we read? In fact, we're invited to say, come Holy Spirit, in one sense, as we read. And we should, right? We should remind ourselves what a sacred thing we do. We're not, we're not approaching this book like it's a novel or a textbook. We're approaching it as the very words of God. And as we read, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach us, to lead us into all truth. That's kind of what Jesus said would happen. If you go over to John 16, hopefully it will come up on the screen. Jesus' last words to his disciples were that I'm going to send this counselor, this comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come and be with you. And he says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear right now, but when he, that's it, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will note, guide you into all truth. Now, perhaps Jesus wasn't directly saying when you read the Bible, but it's kind of implied there, right? That when the Spirit of God comes, he will guide you and lead you into all truth. And that's kind of what we need to be doing when we're opening God's word. We need to be saying, Holy Spirit, come and lead and guide me into all truth. There's a lovely story in Acts, isn't there, of the um, Ethiopian eunuch on his camel train coming home from Jerusalem. I'm not sure camel trains do that, but that's another story. Um, but uh, I didn't practice that very well. Um, but, uh, you know, he's on his camel train and Philip, the evangelist, is walking alongside and he's reading this book, this Bible the Isaiah prophets, the scroll. And he says, I don't understand it. And he says, Philip, would you come up and basically help me to understand this, this scroll, this book? 
And in a very similar way, we need to be doing the same, right? Never read the Bible alone. Don't try and work it out for yourself, but invite the Holy Spirit to come and lead you into all truth, to come and guide you, to come and explain what's written here. And if you find you'll do that, then he'll speak truth and lead you into that truth uh, in your lives. Okay, so that's the first one. Second one, don't read too much of the Bible. Now, if you had nodded off at this stage, just wake up for this little bit, right? Because this is the bit I really want you to hear. This is my advice to you about reading God's Word. Read less, more often, and much, much slower. Read less, more often, and much, much slower. Now, I'm not saying and I'm not knocking what routine you've got now. Maybe you... Well, so I know a few of us do this, so I'm reading the Bible through in a year using the Bible in One Year app, which is pretty fantastic. But it's a lot of reading, right? I mean, you're talking chapters every day, 20, 30 minutes of reading each day, okay? And some of you might be using notes you've used for years, you know, Scripture Union notes every day with Jesus. All great, okay? I'm not trying to knock that. But I'm just saying, somewhere in your routine, somewhere in what you do behind, when everybody, you know, and you're on your own, in front of the Lord, you know, somewhere in that mix of things you do, there needs to be time to slow down and to meditate on God's precious word. And I know a few people get uh, a bit excited about the word meditate because they think kind of it's an Eastern religion thing or it's a New Age thing. It's actually a biblical thing, really. We need to redeem it, really, if I'm honest. And um, yeah, it's just we, it really, it's all about just pondering, just dwelling, just waiting, just slowing down and just marinating in God's word. It's not about emptying our minds. It's about filling our minds full of biblical truth, just to ponder, just to linger, just to soak it in. That's what we need to do. And time and time again, in this precious book, it talks about the need to, in one sense, to consume God's word. To, not to treat it like some dry textbook, but to treat it like the living word of God. To consume it, to taste it, to devour it, to let it be almost part of us. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. (laughs) Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. I'll give Pete Gregg the credit for that illustration. I thought it was really good. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting, I'll go off my script a little bit. So I thought, oh, should I do this this morning? Should I do this illustration? It's rice paper, by the way, just in case you're wondering what it is. Um, in case you think I'm going to be eating pages of the word. Um, but here's the thing I'm thinking, oh, shall I do this this morning, Lord? And my reading this morning honestly went to Psalm 34 8, Taste and see the Lord is good. Completely by, by, by that, right? And, and, 
And here's the thing, right? I'd actually put a little... I've got a Bible where you can keep notes. And I put a little note by it. And I will explain this. So I've only thought of this this morning coming into church. I put a little note by it and I said, you know what? Tasting is far more engaged than looking. And I was thinking, yeah. Here's my illustration. Imagine this is a piece of nice fresh bread. Sorry, it's a dry hot cross bun. But, but looking at it is only one sense. All right, I might smell it, I might get the second sense a bit. But when I taste it, I feel it, I hear it crunch, I smell it, I won't eat any more of it. But you know what I'm saying? It's a complete whole body experience, right? So you can see why Jesus leads us uh, into that kind of truth here. To taste and see, to consume it, to allow all of it to become part of us. That's what we need to be doing with God's word. To, to consume it, to, to, to completely all in with all our senses. And to, to, you know, to literally eat it in to be, so it becomes part of us. Cows in a field, um, they chew the cud. I don't want to go into too much detail because it's getting near dinner time. Um, but they, they ruminate. You've seen cows. Uh, and they, it means they constantly regurgitate their food, which is a horrible thought. Uh, and they chew it over and over and over and over again until the last bit of nutrient has been removed from whatever they were eating. So I would say this morning, we need to be more cow. <laughs> be more cow. When you're, when you're consuming God's word, all right? You need, to, you, know, you need to let it sort of ruminate inside you and just chew it over. And if God speaks to you, which he will when you, when you come to his word, just, just take it into your day. And you send, I mean, I do lots of things, but send a text to yourself of a verse or a, I'm a bit old school, I print it and put it in my back pocket sometimes if God's given me a particular verse from the day. So, but just take it out into your day and ruminate on it and, and chew the cud. Be more cow when you're eating God's word. And, and I just want to introduce a Bible reading technique to you. So we're going to get a little bit practical this morning uh, called Lectio Divina. Now, sorry for the horrible Latin name. It's uh, based on a monastic tradition and it literally means divine reading. And it's been sort of, yeah, it's, it's been around the church a while, but I guess uh, thanks to the 24 7 team, Pete Gregg's team, uh, it's been kind of made a little bit more popular, I guess. And uh, some of you might be familiar with the Lectio 365 app. But this Lectio Divina thing is just a way of just meditating on God's word, slowing down, just ruminating on it, just chewing it over. And it's got these four steps, right, which come up on the screen there. Uh, read, meditate, pray, contemplate. They have hideous Latin names as well, but I decided to do it in English. So let me just say, tell you how it works. You, you, uh, so you read a bit of God's Word, and I mean a bit, right? I mean, you can read a couple of chapters if you want to, but the, the key thing is to focus right, right down on a few verses, I would say, even just a few words, okay? So just read a few. You don't need to read an awful lot. Um, Obviously, before you do all this, and I've forgotten the steps straight away, is you just slow down and say, you know, come Holy Spirit, right? Just speak to me as I approach this sacred book. So read a bit of God's Word. Just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you as you're reading it. You might even find it useful to read it out loud. I don't personally do that, but some people do, and that's a good way of doing it. And then meditate. Just, just let it linger inside your spirit. Just 
just go round it a few times, just read it maybe again a little bit more slowly, try and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And you'll notice as you're doing it, this lovely supernatural highlighter pen will appear. And highlight, it's funny, isn't it? Some of you will be familiar with this. You just you notice how the Lord is just highlighting maybe a phrase or a couple of words. And then the next step is pray. So they, the part of the routine, they suggest you just pray those same words and phrases back to the Lord. Just, you know, maybe just a couple of short prayers, just sort of going around that and just saying, thank you, Lord, that you, that you do this or do that, that I've just read in your word. And then the final thing you do is contemplate. Just think about a little bit. What's the Lord saying to me here? What is it that I need to take out into my day today? And I'm, I'm saying take it out into your day because I, I, it's great if you can do it in the mornings. And uh, what is it you want me to, to hear from your heart today? So just, um, you know, just, just again, just, uh, just again, take it out into your day. Just take it as part of your day today. So if you find that a little bit unstructured, then I would recommend, if it's going to come up, the Lectio 365 app. This is written again by the 24-7 guys. Really good. I mean, similar kind of structure here. Um, it takes you through a short Bible reading, some prayers and everything else. And it does a morning and an evening one. They're both very good. So just encourage you to look for that. Completely free of charge. No charge for it at all. Uh, so Lexio, sorry, it's got that strange name. 365 is the app. And don't be too restrained by the, you know, the structure of all this, but... Um, you know, you'll find that as you get into it, you sort of the steps and the various things you do will just move around a little bit. But just take that time to read less, more often, and much, much slower. Okay, I thought I'd give you a quick example of how this could work. So we're going to put a, a very famous part of God's word up on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, for those who don't know what it is. So this is not even the first verse, only half the first verse. And just as you're looking at that, let's say that was the thing you were going to look at this morning, okay, in your little time of, of Lectio Divina. The Lord is my shepherd. And as you, I just want to show you really how God can do amazing things with just a few words. So just have a look at those five words, the Lord is my shepherd. And as you read them slowly, as you feel the Holy Spirit just leading you, maybe you'll focus on the word the that this is the Lord. It's not a Lord, it's not a minor deity, it's the Lord. And maybe you'll focus on that word Lord, that this is the ancient word for God that even the Jews wouldn't pronounce. He was the super holy name of God that they didn't speak his name. In fact, modern Jews even don't call him the word behind that. They, say, they call him the name, Okay. Uh, but maybe that will highlight to you. Maybe you'll say, well, it's not just a God with a small g. It's Jehovah. It's Yahweh. It's the, it's the everlasting God of all creation, the Lord of all. Maybe you'll focus on the word is. Present tense. Not maybe, not will be, but is. Constant, present tense with me all the time. Or the word my, personal, not somebody else's. The Lord isn't the world shepherd, he's my shepherd. And of course that word shepherd there just rings so much of God's truth in our heart, doesn't it? The shield, the defender, the guide, the provider, the redeemer, the saviour. 
And of course, straight away, if we kind of know our New Testament, we're thinking of the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That word shepherd there is starting to take us now to Jesus. Just again, just backing up what John was saying, that ultimately the whole of the Bible is about Jesus. You find Jesus even in that ancient psalm. So here's my advice. Don't read, try and read too much. Just read a little bit. Just dwell. Just linger. And I thought to myself this week, you know, there's that new David Attenborough thing out, right? If you watch any of those programs, um, you know, he'll talk about the amazing detail of creation. We call it creation, but that's another story. Uh, but he'll talk about the, the amazing detail of, of plant life and animal life. And if a God who can do so much right at the sort of almost the, the miniature level... Why isn't that the same God that when I read God's word, there's layer after layer after layer of complexity, of love, of beauty, of just his passionate gift of life for me, and how it's there to be discovered layer on layer if I just dwell on it. So that's my encouragement for you today. And this has been the inspiration of the Lexio course that we're running starting on Monday, Unfortunately, this course is full, which is great. I'm really pleased about that. Uh, but we, it's only just five weeks, and it just takes you through this Lectio Divina routine. Um, but I think what we'll do is we'll try and maybe start a waiting list, and once enough people are uh, interested, we can run another one perhaps a little bit later. So, uh, so just keep that um, you know, just in your thinking, and, and we'll look out for it on the coastline weekly. Okay, let's get to our last guiding principle then. Don't think too much when reading the Bible. All right, I have to admit, I've gone a bit mad on this one. I'm not, saying, <laughs> I'm not saying turn off your brains when reading the Bible. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is you need to understand it's more about the heart than it is about the head. Okay? It's more about the heart than it is about the head. We don't read the Bible to satisfy our intellectual curiosity, Right? We don't read the Bible to get some kind of logical buzz out of it. We read the Bible to meet Jesus. That's why we read the Bible, to meet Jesus. And uh, for some, the Bible can be a bit like a masterpiece, a work of art that we sit and study and admire. Let me stroke our chins a bit. And we look at it and say... What a beautiful composition it is. Let me try and understand it. Let me try and debate it with my other arty friends. That we try and discuss it and get some meaning out of it. The Bible was never intended to be a picture frame. It was supposed to be a window frame, which we see Jesus through. Pete Gregg again, right? <laughs> I thought it was brilliant though. Right? But it's a, it's a window frame that we look through to see the Saviour. And trust me, if you're spending hours and hours and hours looking on YouTube, trying to come up with some cute theory about why, what were these Nephilim in Genesis 6? Or maybe trying to work out why certain verses have been missed from your Bible app. 
Because there are some that have been taken out of your Bible app, but there's some good reason for that, right? We're not there to satisfy our curiosity. We're there to encounter Jesus. And here, we're not asking you to fall in love with the Bible. We're asking you to fall in love with the Saviour. And the Bible is a means by which we engage with him, which we meet him, and which he passionately calls us by his Holy Spirit every, every time we open its sacred pages. But just focus, we call this series The Big Picture. Focus on the big picture. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so if you're reading it and dissecting it and coming up with some cute theories that nobody's ever heard of ever before, you're not looking at the big picture. It's all about Jesus. Paul said, in fact, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he says, what I received from the Lord I passed on to you was first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised to life according to the Scriptures. That's the big picture. It's all about Christ died, Christ crucified, dying for our sins, raised to life. That's the main and the plain, as we call it, the main thing that we believe in. Let me just close with this. Just imagine every day when you wake up, you could hear the very words of God. Well, here's 788,000 of them. So what are you waiting for? 